Podcast episode 279. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, what a show I have for you this week. This is a person I didn't know I would ever have on my show. And it's not because I didn't want to, but it's because I could never gauge whether or not he'd be interested to actually appear. And it wasn't until he actually made the offer that I said, okay, yeah, let's do it. Because this is someone I've worked with for a while now, for more than a decade. It's someone I've admired. It's someone I appreciate. I appreciate his intellect. I appreciate his creativity. I appreciate his work ethic. My guest this week is Josh Penry. And Josh Penry is a principal at 76 Group, formerly known as EIS Solutions. He's a former state representative, former state senator, former Senate minority leader, former candidate for governor, and a guy who is still a mover and shaker in Colorado politics, especially when it comes to ballot measures. He has helped craft a number of ballot measures. We talk about some of them on the show. And more than anything, I find Josh Penry to be a solutions-oriented kind of guy. He sees the landscape of the way things are, looks for opportunity, and then executes that. It's very few people who have the vision and then the wherewithal to actually execute it. And he's got a remarkable team around him. I adore the people at 76 Group. I've worked with most of them in one form or fashion. And I enjoy being a part of a team that is willing to do the work and also does that work in a creative fashion. Now... That's not really what we talk about on this week's episode. When they became 76 Group, which was just recently, I sent a text of congratulations to some of the principals there. Josh texted me back and he said, Hey, if you ever need a podcast episode, why don't we talk about the future of the Republican Party? Dude, are you kidding me? Yes. Let's talk about this because the Republican Party in 2021, I think is in a very interesting place. It's a party that Josh says later in this episode has marginalized itself a bit. And we talk about some of the reasons why. We talk about partisanship. Partisanship that is inbounds and partisanship that is out of bounds. We also talk about the insurrection at the Capitol. We talk about moderates versus what you might call the wingnuts, the people on the fringe of the party, and how much of our politics is being driven by the fringe voices. How do we get back to a government that is more functional, that is more bipartisan, that is more interested in solving problems than making a point? Or, or perhaps dunking on the other side. That kind of thing to your normal citizen is exhausting. And it's awful to watch. And it's an indictment of our democracy. And Josh, having worked in and around politics for what I think is his entire career, has a lot of unique insights here. And as someone who is interested in solving problems, I suspect some of the opinions in here are going to make him a little bit unpopular on both the right and the left. And for my money, if you have enemies on the right and on the left, you're doing something right. And this is just one man's opinion, but it means you have gotten to some sort of deeper truth. Now, maybe that's aspirational, and maybe I'm off the mark. I don't particularly care. What I am interested in is having conversations like this. And I'm intensely grateful to Josh for making the overture to be on my show in the first place. I don't know that I would have thought of this topic on my own. I mean, maybe, maybe this idea would have come to me, but I don't know that I could have had this type of conversation with anyone besides Josh. So we'll get to the episode in a second, but first got to pay some love to our sponsor, Four Degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Speaking of political firms, a lot of the work of Four Degrees focuses on campaigns, whether they're running candidates or they're running issues campaigns, what they're doing is they're taking messages They're making sure the messages are right, and then they're getting them on the platforms to reach the audiences that need to hear them most. But that's not all they do. If you have a good, if you have a product, if you have a service, Four Degrees can take what they've learned from running these very sophisticated, award-winning campaigns and apply them to your business. One of the things you may not realize about innovations in marketing and audience targeting and data collection is a lot of that comes out of campaigns. And it gets applied to the private sector. And for my money, no one is better than my sponsor, 4Degrees. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Now then, it's episode 279 of the John of All Trades podcast. And it features Josh Penry. 
former state legislator, former candidate for governor, and current principal of 76 Group. We talk about the future of the Republican Party. It gets heated in various points. And I'm intensely grateful for his willingness to go on the record and talk about some of this stuff out in the open that I feel like doesn't get discussed enough. Episode 279, John of All Trades Podcast. Josh Penry starts right now. Congrats on the Bruins, by the way, for uh, another state championship, right? Yeah, that's the important stuff. <laughs> High school football. Yeah, we that's care, a... we care about most around here. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, it's funny, dude. I uh, I don't have anyone in high school, and my alma mater is not that great. So I don't. What's your alma mater? Golden. Oh uh, yeah. I think I can't remember if they're four A or they may yeah, have gotten. 4A. Yeah. They have their moments, but I follow it because you and I have known each other for like a decade now, yep. and so I'll watch the prep rally every morning, and I'll look for your son, and right. I'll be like, "All right, nice. That's yeah. someone I know." So great season, right? It was. Yeah, very proud of Chase. He is. Uh... I tried to make him a, a quarterback um, when he was young, and indeed that, that wasn't his thing. He's wide receiver, and he's um, he's worked really hard through the years as a really focused, determined kid. In fact, you know, most of them, the better part of my parenting is um, telling him to chill out, relax, go out and have fun, quit you know, quit training, quit working. So he's he's a determined kid, and, and the hard work's paid off for him. And it's uh, pretty cool to be part of the Trey Creek football program. Dave Logan, who's like you know cool as hell. That's been it's been a great run. Yeah. I've never met Dave Logan, but by all accounts, he seems like a good guy. Like, is he is he pretty even keel, or is he is he a hard ass? Um, yeah, he's interesting. You should get him on your show. He's surprisingly, uh, you know, he's a big deal, and yeah. he doesn't behave like a big deal. He's very accessible. He never misses a practice. He's, you know, high school football is about dealing with parents who bitch. Can I can I use profanity? Oh, of course. Yeah, okay, great. Um, he and he's just like he's really good, and he he's passionate about kids. He loves the game, and he's passionate about kids. I mean, he's very very invested i mean you know i think about like early in chase's career he had one game where he had a tough drop late in the game and like dave is all about him like how's he doing how do we we got to get him the ball next time so he's dave dave is literally too good to be true wow that's quite the endorsement is he still set on going to see you he's going to see you yeah he uh uh might get him in trouble flirted with the, the ivy leaks offered yeah, and so um, those are you know real opportunities. At the end of the day, the allure of playing big time college football sure. in your backyard is uh, is is pretty exciting. Well, it's, uh, it's I mean I, I saw the Pac-12 commissioner just resigned. From everything I've read, he did not do a good job of emboldening that league in terms of the Power Five conferences. Yeah, I mean you should get you should apply for that job. He made forty <laughs> large, forty million. Get out. Yeah, yeah. You know people wonder where all this money goes. Well, there's a start. These conferences are. You know, mega behemoths. So um, he he has not done a good job keeping pace. Made some big strategic mistakes and how yeah. they handled like their TV deal and stuff. So it'd be good to get some fresh blood. I mean, you look, but you know, going to Chase like it's a cool conference. USC, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, Boulder's obviously a great place. So there's Oregon. a good team, Borgen, yeah, absolutely. So it'll be a it'll be a fun four years. Yeah, dude, that'll that'll be awesome. So this is Josh Penry, principal of Seventy Six Group, formerly EIS Solutions. And someone I've known for uh, more than a decade now, because I started at Noble uh, in 10, and that's when we really started working together. So full disclosure here, we've done work together on both sides. It's funny. You've been a contractor for the company I worked for, and then I've subcontracted for you. Uh, I don't think we have anything active going on right now, so I just want to get that out. Maybe one client, but I'm not sending you a bill this month. That's good. That's good news. That's good news. So, if, if you're too For nice, you. if you're right, <laughs> yeah, you, you can throw me zingers either way. So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we've known each other for a long time, and so it was with the announcement when you guys transitioned from EIS to Seventy Six Group that I texted you. I just said congratulations. You know, here's kind of what's going on, and you said, "Hey, if you ever want to do a show and talk about the future of the Republican Party, I'm down. Let's do it." Yeah. I thought about it for a little while, and I go, why would I say no to that? Because, I mean, you're a former state legislator, former Senate minority leader. Uh, were you in the House, too? Yeah, I was in the House for a term. Yep. Okay. So the House, then the Senate, briefly a candidate for governor. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're well-known in these circles and also a mover and shaker in terms of ballot measures here in Colorado. So yeah. things that Thanks. have come from your brain pan, and uh, you've actually willed to reality. So, I mean, things like raise the bar. And you were instrumental in helping bring sports gambling here. Yep. 
So, how you doing? You betting any of these days? <laughs> no, that, that that ain't my bag. I see the ads constantly. So, yeah, so thank you for that. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't blame me for that part. Thanks for thanks for the nice words. I, we've always enjoyed working with you through the years. This this you know this we're not it's not politics all the times, but this kind of this public affairs space where you know it's government relations, it's marketing, it's advertising right. is. There's some really good people. There's some not so good people too, uh, but there's some really good people, and you're definitely in the in the camp of the former. So it's good to connect. Well, I appreciate that, man. Uh, you guys have always been really. Uh, you set me up right when I left Noble too with one of my favorite clients I ever worked with, uh, and we've worked on a number of projects since then. But it's interesting. So yeah, you're right. It's some private sector stuff. It's and it's all different fronts. But when you said you wanted to talk about the future of the Republican Party. I was interested in that because, you know, we're just coming off the Trump presidency. There was an insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, and the the country is kind of reacting to that. So in terms of where you see the future of the Republican Party, I'll just ask you uh, an open-ended question. Where do you see it, and how are you feeling right now? You know, I think um, you t- taking a step back as a citizen um, and somebody who loves the country and is, you know, just pays, pays attention to things, it's hard not to be, be incredibly worried about the direction of things. Just, you know, the basic norms of how we do things are like squarely in question. I mean, the conversations over the last 18 months that I've had with my son or my daughter, who's a freshman, and I have twins who are younger, not quite engaged in the, on, on, on matters of, of this gravity. But right. They're right around the age of my oldest. So your twins are five, five, right. So yeah, yeah my oldest is six. My youngest is four. So yeah, we're all right there. There's, she's starting to ask me questions. Yeah, they, they did. Well, like, you know, when there's a mob at the Capitol and the TV's right. on, like, they're perking up. And this is not the country that we grew up in. It's not the country we should be. So, I mean, to me, the, you know, when you're having conversations about who's in power or who's running or what should the Republican Party do, I think always the first priority needs to be, like, you know, we all, as citizens who love this country, want our kids to have what we have been given need to focus on how we actually heal our country and move the country forward. Now that's not to mean, you know, we can't fight and argue and all that kind of stuff, but I think the just returning to basic civility, um, and appreciation for the fact that, you know, your next door neighbor is loud and disagrees, but you know, God bless him. If we all agreed, life would be boring as hell. So I, I, that's the, that's the part that actually I, I worry about the most, you know, and unfortunately the, um, you know, the Republican party has marginalized itself, in, in horribly in a horrible way, um, you know, in the over the last four years certainly, but what happened at the Capitol was embarrassing, uh, and it's a stain on the name of our country that will be remembered for a long time. Um, and it, you know, there's no there's kind of no mincing words. As well, the you know there were left wing rioters downtown Denver. Bullshit. Like yeah, they were, and they should get in trouble. That doesn't excuse or yeah. justify what happened. In you know the the sanctuary of the great you know political sanctuary of the greatest country in the history of the damn world it should have never right. happened and I hope people get run up for it. Yeah, stop stop equivocating. Yeah, the, the two of them because y- yes, agreed. Uh, there there were there was vandalism. There were bad things that happened over the summer. This felt different, and th- and this felt like almost a directive from the top as well. Would you agree in characterizing that? Yeah, way? I mean, you, you, um, what happened this summer was outrageous. And I thought a lot of people on the left were too slow to condemn it because they were worried about, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the politically correct mob on the left who, you know, treats every Republican as, you know, being tantamount to, you know, the worst human that's ever walked on the planet. So they were, they were slow to condemn, but that, like, they're, you know, you, you can't run around saying, well, they're assholes, so we get to be assholes. <laughs> Um, and, and, and you are right. Like what happened was an attempt to interfere with like, you know, with, with the functions of government, right? The, the way I think about it, Barack Obama or, you know, Bill Clinton had whipped a crowd up right before George W. Bush or Donald Trump were about to be sworn in and a bunch of lefties right. mobbed the U.S. Capitol. Sean Hannity would have like, he would be going to war still. His, like, we'd his be talking head would have exploded, he would have exploded live on air. And that. Uh, that anyone can't see that for for what it is 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 frustrating. So the you know to me the the kernel of hope that I have is from that horrible moment 
you know, I think a lot of good people, first of all, a lot of good people voted for Trump. And I have zero patience for the people on the left who want to typecast. Every person who voted for Trump is being the same as the people who mobbed the Capitol. That's not true. That's outrageous. It's part of what's created that mindset on the far right. But the truth is those people who were in that camp in that category, they need to they need to be punished. And the Republican Party has to move beyond that. That segment of people that were there, a lot of good people who voted for Donald Trump, that segment of honestly troublemakers that were there who are, you know, who just in, not in touch with reality. The Republican Party needs to move away from being a voice for that or co-opted by that and be the voice of Dwight Eisenhower, right? Uh, the voice of, um, you know, there's some pretty good Republican presidents along the way, uh, and and he's one. It's interesting. I, I, I saw one, uh, you know, far-right kind of commentator talk about the rhinos, and, you know, it's like, really, Dwight, Dwight fucking Eisenhower – Beat the Nazis, like and and but as president, he cut deals with Democrats. He focused mm-hmm. on the debt. You know, he was a leader on civil rights issues. Like I'm actually, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty confident in the 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 masculinity and muscularity of the, you know Eisenhower. So that's like to me, that's where what where should the Republican Party go? Like a reasonable, reason strong, tough, but you know, sort of country first minded uh, group and and getting away from the fringe. Do you identify with this iteration of the Republican Party? So two of my good buddies, it's it's interesting. In fact, they should be on here with us. Rob Whitwer, longtime legislator. I you, think used to represent my parents' district. Like yeah. it was like Evergreen, Golden, that kind of area, right? Yeah, and but he's yeah exactly. And yeah. he but he's an Ivy League guy. He would never say this, but he's like he's very well credentialed. I mean, I went to a state college. I don't know where sure. he went to college, but he's like he's like he's, I went to CSU. Yeah, so. so it's great. Great schools. Proud of our schools. Sure, yeah. he's, this is a very smart guy. Then you got Greg Brophy, my other buddy, Eastern Plains rural legislator. Rob left the Republican Party. And we have it's funny during this whole COVID thing, we've had this text thread where we, you know, commiserate and go back and forth. And he frequently says, Why haven't you left? Because that's my I'm I'm frustrated, right? Yeah. I, I I'm outraged, I'm pissed. And the thing I keep coming back to is this is my party as much mm-hmm. as it is their party. And so to me it's like and I don't blame or judge people who have left. A lot of people have left the Democratic Party too because they're out of control. Like the way I approach it intellectually and the way I reconcile like how I stay in this party is I want to keep fighting for it. I want it to return to being frankly the party George George W. Bush like you know the 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 you know the hardest voices in the MAGA crowd like to mock George W. Bush newsflash. Newsflash. Um, George W. Bush won two national elections. I thought Trump liked winners. Trump's one and one, barely beat Hillary Clinton, right? So, like, the idea that Bush is some sort of a – like, we have – because we're reasonable, we have to be pansies and pussies mm. is horse crap. Like, that's a, that is not the reality that any of us live in. So why am I here? How do I, you know, rationalize staying? It's like I want to fight for my party because this is our party too. It's interesting because I've been independent pretty much the entirety of my political career. I just – I'd never – I didn't. I never had a team that I aligned with that closely, right? Uh, I voted. I I was a Republican briefly, so I could vote for Pete Coors in the Senate primary, and because he was, I grew up with the Coors family, a friend of mine. I was friends with his youngest son. Beyond that, I never fully identified with Republicans. Never fully identified with Democrats. But I feel like the current iteration of the Republican Party. I didn't leave it. It left me yeah. because of the way that the the party is moving. The, the way it's been co-opted by what you're kind of articulating here. I think it's hard for people to identify with that when the most visible markers of Republicanism is what we see at the Capitol and, you know, in folks like Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Let's talk about Mitch. I view him differently than I view Trump, although, you know, there are moments I disagreed. I, I think the, the, it's interesting culturally, and we, we do a ton of public opinion research around here. Yeah. Cultural and f- forget politics. Forget politics is actually more fun to like on a cultural level, you know, voters who are less than 50 years old, um, kind of regardless of lots of other considerations, don't connect with what the Republican Party has become. Now, that's not uniformly true. Obviously, a lot of under 50 voters voted for Republicans. But if you look at the swing and the trends of how thin support gets for a Republican candidate, or frankly, Republican causes now are now in question because they don't like the guy who's articulating those causes. And so now they're judging adversely the notion of free enterprise. My God, we're having a discussion about whether free enterprise works. Of course it works. But because Trump likes it, you know, sort of less attuned, less engaged, people are saying, well, we need to question all this stuff. But there is that fundamental disconnect that's occurring. And, you know, the, begin, the, the beginning of building it back is trying to 
reconnect with that universe. And there are there are lots of voters or candidates that are doing it. There's a couple of I've talked about a lot centrist candidates. Both of them are white dudes, right? Actually, I think we should Republicans should run the heck out, you know, really focus on female candidates who sure. just because they bring uh, frequently a different, you know, a different approach to these races and they, uh, they break the brand, um, as, as sort of a starting point. But in Colorado, there were two white guys who have, gov- who have governed as center, in the legislature who won sweeping victories in down ticket races down, who, who cares that it's down ticket. Nobody cares about down ticket. So to win right. for a guy like Kevin Priol out Adams County to win a legislative race when Biden you know, one going away over the top is remarkable. And why did he win? Because he's bipartisan. He's centrist. He doesn't talk like a politician. He's just trying to get things done for teachers and the economy and the rest. And people are like, yeah, I like that guy, even though I don't like the party. To me, a party that goes there, it's it's actually pretty simple. If we do that, if the Republicans do that, we'll be competitive. If we don't do that, at least in Colorado, and I would suggest you know, in a lot of these sw- swing states where the s- suburbs matter, mm-hmm. we won't be competitive. Who's uh, who's the centrist guy who it's another down ticket race, but he's like Centennial Greenwood Village, that area had a challenge from the right in the primary. Uh, I can't remember his Cole name. Wist. No, not Cole Wist. I'll think of it. OK. Oh, Colin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colin Larson. Larson. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I. Through another podcast that I produce, I heard him speak. Yeah, and he takes a lot of heat from yeah, the right. He does. Yeah, he's a great example. And so, uh, I also think about a couple of years ago when there was that fight over the hospital provider bill. Yeah, and Jerry Sonnenberg, who yeah. I've met many times and who I I really admire, I think he's a great guy, took so much heat and was getting called a rhino. And it's like, dude, he represents the geographically largest district in the entire state, and like that kind of intra-party fighting to me you're you're fighting essentially for the heart of the republican party and the hearts and minds of people who may not be decided that is extraordinarily damaging i think yeah it is it is so a lot of our the organizations that exist on the right there's some really good people and a lot of my friends but they want to apply a purity test to these guys you can't you cut a deal with the democrats you're a democrat that's nonsense our like free free countries with representative form of governments don't function if neither side will compromise, will work, will work together. So Jerry's a great example of that. I, I'm glad you mentioned Colin. Colin Larson, he's a younger person, right? And yeah. So he brings a different perspective. Owned Small a business shop. owner, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. He's been, but he's been in politics, so he speaks the language, and he's not soft either, right? So like one of the things that, to me, I, the term that, you know, that I about, you know, embrace for myself is like a militant moderation, right? Like at this <laughs> point, like it, the people on the far right and the far left are screaming, and they are fighting, and so if reasonable people in the middle want to have any hope of of succeeding and moving us out of this quagmire and this, we got to fight too. And so Colin's a great example. Colin has had repeatedly had tough primaries, you know, where they've beat him up for his position on gay rights and they said he's not, you're not conservative enough. And Colin's pretty conservative, but he's not, you know, like he's not, you know, he's not a far right candidate. He's, he's socially moderate on a number of issues. But the cool, the interesting thing about Colin is he wins, right? Because he's hustling, he's working, he's campaigning, he's beat far right candidates in primaries every time he's been out because he does invoke that kind of Eisenhower approach. He wants to work with the other side, but he's not afraid to mix it up if it if it's what's what's required. Well, sure. And if if you're arguing about policy, for instance, uh, the tax reform that passed at federal level, I've argued with a number of my Republican friends about this. And they say, this is great. This is a big deal. I'm like, look, my tax bill was much higher the year that thing passed than it was the previous year. So it did not affect me in a positive way. But here's the thing. That's a conversation you can have. That's a difference in policy, right? I mean, that's that's debate worth having where we're so focused on a lot of cultural war type stuff. You said Colin's getting beat up because of his position on gay rights. It's like, why are we arguing about this? That feels so retrograde and so regressive. And it's like, this is symbolic of the Republican Party. Why are we doing this? Yeah, there are some. It's it's interesting, though. They're like in his district. That's that's a minority viewpoint within the Republican Party, as evidenced by the fact that he keeps winning primaries. Right. Um, there are on on the point, though, about re- there, there, it's interesting for a lot of the groups. And I this is definitely Trump tapped into something. Let's actually come back to this. Like he brought a, a group of people out who have been disenfranchised, who don't have a voice and don't feel like they have access 
uh, and he took it in a horrible direction. But that is a real constituency of voters, and it's and it's something that's frankly an indictment of everybody, both both parties, the establishment, and both parties, the press, our institutions. But the problem with all of that is it became, you know, a, a cult of personality. Right. Like, you know, the one thing you learn in life is that people are always going to disappoint you. And, you know, this guy has been no different. But, you know, there are lots of moments where people should have, like, said, hey, is that a good idea? Yeah. The, the, the most recent one to me was when we literally repealed the party platform, which there was plenty in the party platform I didn't agree with. But we're not going to have a platform. We're just going to be for what Trump says. Like, like if ever there were a moment where it's like, okay, that's kind of a problem because like I'm not for whatever Donald Trump's for. Actually, there's a decent number of things that he's for that I'm for too. I was for them before he was, incidentally. But like I, the the notion that we're not even going to have an, a platform is is laughable. So that notion of cult of personality, it's scary and it's a problem. It doesn't work because people are always going to screw up, mess up, and let you down. When you're about ideas, when you're associated with ideas that right. people find appealing, then you can survive from one personality to the next. Well, and my argument, Josh, would be that the, all the things that people like to champion Trump for in terms of this administration, deregulation, right, or the the tax bill, I happen to disagree with it, but if you like that, right, that's great. Supreme Court justices, if you're into that, I would argue that was all an accidental byproduct. That, like, none of that came from Trump, and Personally, I don't think he gives a shit about any of that. Like, I don't think any of that matters at him to all. But the fact that that is a winning issue for, call it at least a plurality of people in the country, plurality of voters, then he gets associated with that. He gets to take some credit for it. And I think, I mean, I think that's interesting. So repealing a party platform in favor of whatever Trump is for, I don't think Trump is actually for anything except himself. Right. And so, like, you're right. That's that's ridiculous, and that's no way to run a railroad. Yeah, it is. And it, you know, got us in trouble. There were – we talked about, you know, where, where you agree with Trump, you know, and where he, he got it right, and I think where he tapped into the sentiments. I mean, the dude is is shrewd in, in spades. But, like, the – the growing, and we see this in so much of our research. I mean, we're, we're like all over the country, but obviously a lot here in Colorado. The fundamental belief among people who are, you know, working class or, and retired, right? Like, and so working class people who have kind of gone on to retirement that the system is legitimately rigged, that regular people can't climb, that the rich guys don't pay their taxes and all the rest of us are getting screwed that government's too big and too in the way and can't solve problems is palpable and powerful you know and so like you know if if you think about like if teddy roosevelt had come down the escalator you know in trump tower and a, and a person like teddy roosevelt like uh, teddy roosevelt is my favorite president okay. a populist yeah. president like this this you know herculean intellectual smart as hell Author, like, you know, I mean, just like, just like every, you sort of everything that Trump's not. But what he did was tapped these populist sentiments, like a growing class of Americans being left behind, being exploited by, you know, these big trusts, the Rockefellers and the rest who had all the cash and all the loot and were conspiring against people. He went and kicked their ass <laughs> and he did it for good, right? He did it, he used it, but it was actually about something. You know, Trump began to tap on that, tap into that with his, you know, what's happening with free trade in China. Like the free trade and China has really been really good for Wall Street. It actually has been net positive for the economy, but it's come at a tremendous price to working people. And so he, his ability to tap into that was Bafo, I think a lot of his China policy will probably be embraced on the go forward because he did reset kind of what people now think we have to do vis-a-vis China. But it, that's such a limited exception. It was such a blown opportunity right. if it had been somebody who had approached it in a more comprehensive, thoughtful, and America-centric way, like you know, like Teddy Roosevelt. I, I think it's interesting. You you touched on something that you know the game is rigged, and on the right, I think the right would argue the government's too bloated and the government is standing in the way of people's advancement. I think on the left, what you would hear is business has too much power. And uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? The income inequality yeah. and the distri- yeah. distribution of wealth is the true inhibitor to that. Yeah. Where do you fall on something I think, like that? Well, I think that's not a, that is increasingly not a left-right issue. And if you look at the news just in the last couple of days with GameStop, like, right. I mean, if there, has there ever been a more powerful example of how the big rich dudes in the in the you know in the C suite in New York City get one set of rules and all the rest of us get another set of rules. You, we, yeah. we try to challenge them on their turf; they shut us down. Any this is a, I think a fair critique of the Republican Party. Like we are from the left is like we are 
like way too into what the banks say. The banks aren't inherently evil, but they're not our friends. They're like we, and you and I have seen this, yeah. right? We've worked on, with clients who cut rotten deals for Colorado mm-hmm. because it helps their stock price in the short, short term. And we don't have to name names, but you see it all the time. And and they don't give a rip. That money's going to Houston, or it's going to New York, or it's going to Los Angeles, and they hurt. Our communities, right? And so um, I think there. So this notion of income inequality that the rules are rigged. I think that's uh, it's increasingly it's it's less of a partisan issue and more of a demographic issue. The one thing I would say that so so that has to be addressed. And you know, the, and honestly, the the you look at how many of the super wealthy pay no taxes. It's 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 irritating. It's appalling. It pisses you off. It's not fair. Like just yeah. it shouldn't matter who your accountant or your lawyer is. We should all pay a fair. A reasonable tax rate, right? Like irrespective. But I think there's another side of it too, and I think this is also true for with generational. And frankly, Trump tapped into a, a fair amount of this too. Is people are also spoiled and soft. We, you know, we are we are a country with um, many challenges, especially right now, but have been a, a country with challenges for you know since you know for a long time. But we have like so many people have no awareness of how fortunate we are. Like the idea any, – anybody who wants to go to college in America can basically go to college right now for free, right? Like basically. It's, hard on the, it's harder on the middle class, lower income. People are going to get Pell Grants. Middle income people are going to go but come out with debt. Like basically this is still a country with massive opportunities. So I – this is where the people on the left drive me crazy where they want to treat this like this is some, you know – experiment got spoiled and it's like they like we're you know this horrible embarrassment the truth is we are incredibly fortunate to live in this country we have big challenges um uh and we and, and, we, and what we really need and i think this is the beginning of the conversation where the republicans go for is we need to actually focus on solving some of those challenges become a responsible governing party and then i think the, the voters will reward us for it i think that's a rosy outlook would would you how how attainable do you think that is given the way we are and I mean, I even think back to something like 2008 uh, when Obama took office, and you've got Mitch McConnell saying, uh, we're not going to give this guy a victory. I mean, come on, man. Like, that's no, that's no way to govern. Like, you're not, you, you haven't even heard any policies. You've heard what he said on the campaign. But before anything is even before you, I mean, come on, man. So, and you, you mentioned Teddy Roosevelt. Here's the other thing. If Teddy Roosevelt came down and wanted to talk about trust busting now or, you know, uh, Amazon or breaking up big tech yep, or whatever yep. – he gets painted as a socialist, you know, in, in the current climate. And so how do you get from where we are now to what you're sort of articulating as a potential path forward for Republicans? I think big tech is like squarely in the bullseye. Like whoever gloms onto that issue uh, in a real way and has the courage to stand up, they, these people have way too much power. They, you know, actually, I don't, I don't hate them. Yeah, right. Like they are. They've done what they've done. They've done what pe- free people will do in a free society, which is make as much as they can. It's getting out of whack. They pay one set of taxes. They play by one set of rules. They control vastly too much. So I think a trust-busting mindset from a Republican, Democrat, whoever taps into it first, like, needs to be applied to big tech. They have way too much influence, way too much power. You know, the, one of my operating paradigms is both sides are crazy. And we saw it on January, whatever, 6th, 7th, and 8th. January 6th, you know, a bunch of right-wing pricks stormed the Capitol. They kill a cop. They run through the People's House and the Senate. It's like a dark day in history. Two days later... You know, or three days later, social media purges all kinds of people who had like utterly nothing to do with it. Like, what country is this we're living in? And if you think about the synergies that those have together, when they do that, what what when big tech does that, it fuels the ridiculous conspiracies of the ride. It's like it's like this degenerative cycle that we're stuck into. Um, so tech, but tech, to your question, has in, you know has entirely entirely too much power. I think we have to be willing. I think the political system will reward people who are willing to take some of those stands. And the question for Republicans, are we going to be smart enough to do what Teddy Roosevelt did and challenge that orthodoxy? In terms of in terms of Obama and McConnell, the, the thing I would say is there were old rules. And this is, this is what I grew up in, right? There was right. There's basically old rules of partisanship. Anything, anyone who thinks that our democracy has all been like, you know, hugs and, and you know, <laughs> right. butterflies is, it, it hasn't really studied our history. I, I had a colleague who used to romanticize the uh, ideal of Tip O'Neill, saying, you know, I disagree with you, Mr. President, but I'm going to work with you. And my dad very uh, thoroughly and efficiently debunked the the sort of flowery notion of what that actually entailed. Yeah. Um, but I think pe- there, there's a tendency to romanticize the past. Yeah. I'm going to let you finish, but I, I think you're right. There, It's always been a rumble. And so it was always a rumble. McConnell and Obama rumbled. Like, you know, holding back the, you know, the... 
the Supreme Court move was shrewd. I I still like is when history like just evaluated on that basis. Remember, Donald Trump was still like he had all of his issues, personal issues. He you know he was never a conservative. He uh, was all the pollsters were wrong too. Yeah, but they were, he was bleeding Republican support when McConnell you know said we're not going to confirm Justice Garland or Judge Garland. Yeah, yeah. He made the election about a Supreme Court justice to a block of voters mm. that Trump um, doesn't otherwise get. So he, like, and he, you know, this is not, I'm not saying anything new. I really do think that's true. He, Donald Trump is never president in the first place without Mitch McConnell. But McConnell mm. also, there are boundaries with him, right? Like there are, he is a, he's a partisan fighter who represents a deep red Republican state. But you also saw he's a guy who cares about his institutions. His wife left the Trump administration on January the 6th. He hammered Trump by name. So to me, there's our, you know, there's the the traditional partisanship, and then there's the partisanship that elevates to death threats and storming the Capitol. I, th- I think to, we're always going to have traditional partisanship in our in our in our politics, and McConnell comes from that school. Having said that, now we are where we are. Like the the value isn't a guy like you know we need more Susan Collinses, we need more you know Kevin Priolas, we need more leaders who are willing to cross the aisle and get and get work done. The one thing I'll say is the pendulum always swings. I do think people are sick of it. I think those politicians who are smart enough to kind of go to that space are going to be rewarded handsomely. Those are going to be the next generation of national elected leaders because people are really sick of it. Well, I think it's interesting, too, with the pendulum swinging. It's never the extremes that pay. It's always the folks in the middle. I mean, I think about, I can't remember what year this was, but someone as sort of innocuous blue dog Democrat like John Salazar got swept up in a red wave and lost. Right. And he, you know, he was sort of moderate, very bipartisan. Gone out the door. Those people tend to get punished when the pendulum swings. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they do because they're the ones who win on the other wave wave elections. You know, so right. like the centrists are always are always at risk, and when you know the centrists are going to get are are the ones who tend to get swept away. This is why you know one of the things where the left hat and Democrats have been right, and in some places Republicans have said so. But this redistricting thing is has become. It's become weaponized with big data, with the expansion of partisanship. We've always gerrymandered in this country, but it's become like fine art now. Right. And if you if you show up, the same the example I always use, if you show up to work knowing there is no damn chance you can lose your job, the likelihood yeah. that you're going to do poorly in your job is very high. These gerrymandered districts, you got no chance of losing, right? Right. And so what are you going to do? You're going to pander to your base. You're going to be lazy. You're going to vote how you want. You're not going to work with the other side. Or you're going to get flanked from your right. Right. Or, that, well, or if you're on the left, you're going to get flanked from your right. left. That's your only your only real threat of getting fired. Which is, is worse. Yeah. It's a, it, you know, as a whack job comes in, so you just oct- occupy the whack job space. <laughs> and, you know, off, off to the races we go. I think Colorado, we just passed a number of states are getting rid of. That, you know, letting politicians draw their own maps, they shouldn't have ever been able to do that in the first place. I think that is the beginning of the kind of changes we have to see. And the fact that it passed here in Colorado, Republicans and Democrats support. I mean, those are the kind of things that I do think there's a there is an opportunity for a new generation of reform to come out of, you know, the dark skies that we've experienced over the last five or six years. I'm glad you brought that up because Colorado did recently pass redistricting and it's going to be this independent commission made up of R's, D's and independents. Right. Yep. Okay. I'm curious if those on the right, because Colorado has been trending blue for a long time here, if those on the right kind of saw this as is there some political opportunism here? Because if Democrats get to draw the districts in perpetuity, is this almost a fail safe against that? I think you can argue the the cool thing about our process here is unaffiliated voters have equal voice. Unaffiliated is in Colorado now forty percent of the voters in this state. They are by far the most important constituency. Many of these processes they're totally locked out of, and so in that sense, our law was revolutionary. We ran that campaign here. We gave them an equal seat at the process at the table. Hopefully, what comes we'll see is a bunch of a, a lot more districts that are actually competitive. Where if you're if you're the Republican or the Democrat and you win, you didn't win a jerry rigged you know slam dunk of a seat, and you know in two years you might lose. Right. Like I, I worked for a guy named um, we ran Mike Kaufman's campaign for three cycles, yeah. and I and I knew Mike Kaufman before he was in a safe seat. Mike Kaufman was a, you know, well, I probably hurt his feelings, but a conventional traditional party line politician hmm. before he got to a safe seat. And he got to a safe seat, and he, as a matter of sheer survival, started working with the other side. And guess what? He won a lot of elections because he will, and, and which itself show it really does. He more than anybody else really makes the point. In tough seats, 
you either work uh, in a bipartisan way, you try to solve problems or you lose. And it's, and it's, that's the, the most, the, the few moderates that are left in the Congress are people who come from competitive places. Well, and from the other party to make that point, I think you can point to Ed Perlmutter because when they drew CD seven, you know, that was designed to be very competitive. It was like a third, a third, a third. Yeah. And then Ed gets in there and Ed just keeps winning. Like he does. You, you guys got alligator blood, Yeah. but he also works for his district. He does. He's there constantly. I, I've known people who have staffed Ed and they all adore him. His district loves him. Even like people on the right go, you know, I'm not a big fan of Democrats, but I do like what Ed does. Yeah. So I think that's to your point. Yeah, and Ed is a great example of like what functioning partisan politics looks like. He's a Democrat. He like he's going to vote with Biden, whatever, ninety percent of the time. I don't know what the, he'll he'll vote with him a lot. Sure, but he's a guy who doesn't hate the other guy. He's not looking. <laughs> he doesn't wake up in the morning. Like thinking about how I can kneecap the other guy. He's working with other people on local issues. He's showing up. He's listening. He's trying. He's got his viewpoint. And if the voters don't like his viewpoint, they'll vote him out. Vote him out. But he he approaches the job with some appreciation that there's a lot more at stake than just what's good for RRD. Yeah. To a broader point, moving away from partisanship. Well, actually, no. This is part and parcel to partisanship, and I did not mean for that to have that much alliteration. Well done. But, yeah. No joke. Right. It's almost like I do this professionally, but almost. But what I would say is it seems like we're electing people who want to make a point and not get a job done. How much do you agree with that, uh, or am I off the mark? No. It's like we are uh, – I, I totally agree. Absolutely. You know, the uh, – Lauren Boebert, you know, is probably the exemplar. I mean, we live in a, a day and age when it's all, it, it is about celebrity, right? And, you, and celebrity is important, right? Like it is like Obama became – a celebrity. McCain became a celebrity. Good, actually, political candidates in the age of celebrity will have to be able to scratch that itch. Sure. But like when that's it, when that's when the shtick is all that there is. When there, when you turn the page and there's nothing else, like that's not that's not leadership. And so, like for Lauren Bobert, it's interesting. Like she beat Scott Tipton in a primary. Scott's like uh, you know nice guy, but you know the folks at home said he didn't show up. Like classic Washington story. He lost yeah. his way. She's an upstart. She comes in there. She, she beats his butt in a primary and, you know, wins a general election. I'll, I'll point out she didn't – she barely won. She got 51 percent of the vote, right? So people think she's some sort of juggernaut. She barely won a, a pretty safe seat. And but yeah, she's, I mean, yeah, we're talking about western and southern Colorado, which generally – Pretty Republican. It's the you should you should win the seat and you shouldn't win the seat fifty one forty six especially against in a Demo- who was in a Democratic candidate who's I can't remember her name was not a terribly good Diane Mitch Bush right yeah that's right and was kind of like utterly disconnected from rural Colorado didn't scratch any of those itches there's some really good popular effective representatives from from the Western Slope and the Democratic Party she was not one of them so <laughs> best case scenario she wins by she wins by five points but in the you know in the six weeks or whatever a month since she's been in congress it's all bombast it's noise it's guns it's chest but she doesn't love her gun more than i do i'm a strong supporter of the second amendment but like turn the freaking page <laughs> so it really is about it feels like with her and you see this kind of congressman their goal is enlarging their social media presence fox news appearances talk radio appearances let's get a platform and there's like not even like you know then like does she even want a balanced budget I, I'm not I'm not sure. Like, does she even like? What does she want to accomplish? I ha- literally have no idea. And so, I think that celebrity, it's a subset of issues. And I'm I'm glad you brought it up. Is and it is toxic because the system, and this is where we should jump to the press, rewards it. Right? The Colorado press, they're slobbering all over themselves to color, cover Lauren Boebert every day. They love it because she's good copy. She loves it because nobody likes you know the media. The, the media has earned its you know its. It's, you know, disfavor with the public. She can say she's being picked on by the left, which only fuels her celebrity status. And again, it's one of those kind of those. It's a snake eating its tail at this point. It is. It, it, it is. It is totally. It okay. is totally a mess. That's interesting. Uh, I I personally I mean, the, the press certainly is at fault for any number of sins, but having them called the enemy of the people. By the, by the highest office in the land for four years, I think has done some damage that is going to take a long time to walk back because I think we need the press. I think we need the fourth estate. And even, I mean, I'm sort of tangentially related by doing a show like this. I mean, this is sort of a DIY kind of thing, but journalism matters. Asking people on the record, putting them to a decision, putting them you know, to defend positions that they take, I think is an important role. And perhaps uh, that's been lost sight of. Yeah, I uh, my first job in politics was a press secretary um, Who on Capitol for? Hill for Scott McGinnis. Okay. And I did it for three years, and it was the best training I had, and honestly one of the best jobs I've ever had. I learned a lot. 
But the the reporter I think about who ran the Denver Post Bureau was a guy named Bill McAllister, older guy. I don't even know if he's still alive. I suspect he is. Yeah. Stately, smart, thoughtful, fair. You told him something, the story always played straight. I think about in Colorado. You know the the guy who I that in my mind jumps out is Bob Palmer. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember Bob Palmer, Channel Channel sure. Four News. I remember watching him because I was waiting for Ron Zapolar or Les Shapiro to give the Broncos updates. <laughs> right. Um, but he's just like this fair fatherly figure um i think adela arakawa was that way locally yeah compare that kind of journalism and open up your twitter and look at i know he's your your buddy you had him on your show before kyle clark kyle clark's entire shtick is about is about division it's Mm -hmm. about divide it's about noise it's about clicks it's like it is that's his whole shtick and and then at the end of the episode, he has an editorial or you know, you know commentary about why why can't we all work, get along? Yeah, you know, that's not to say he's not right some of the time, but that shtick is part of the reason. That, and it's not just him that that shtick is what fuels so much of the cynicism that so many people have on the right and in general towards the press. One, two, because they get it wrong. I think about what Dan Rather j- did to George W. Bush, you know, the night before his reelect. He's like making stuff up, like like the press's own bias has unfortunately made it themselves a target. That doesn't you're you're totally right. We need a functioning press and for a democracy to work. And that's why if I since I've been critical of locals, like if you like the local the Colorado Public Radio, like there like there are people, there are lots of good people that are trying to get it right. We need people who want to preserve quality journalism, who want to get it right and less of kind of the you know the you know the Twitter the Twitter like strategy to journalism we too often see. Well and I mean I, I was speaking to she's no longer a reporter, I hope she doesn't mind me dropping her name, but Kathy Proctor, yeah. who used to be at the Denver Business Journal, she said, I'm wasting time because the leadership that, that I report to is making me do Twitter. Yeah. She's like, I don't want to. I, I would say that there are those who really embrace that medium and enjoy it. And I've argued with reporters from like the Westward on yeah. Twitter. And that's always a fruitless endeavor. And I go, why am I even doing this? Yeah. But just because it, it feels like you're barking at the moon at that point. She's like, I could be chasing more stories, but I have to schedule tweets. Yeah. And I think to myself, I'm like, what are we even doing here? Like it, Twitter to me, and I've said this before, so I'm going to say it again. The very best person at Twitter in the history of the platform was the former president before he got kicked off. Yeah. That, to me, is a severe indictment of yeah, the platform right, right. as its existence. Yeah. To that end, I don't think that platform should probably even exist. Now, someone will just come along and invent another one. There's nothing we can do about that. But how do we function beyond that, I think, is a question that is largely unanswerable right now. Yeah, and I think for the press, the one thing, and I'm sure there's been people in journalism who have talked about this, like I don't know how you can be – have a Twitter personality that's, you know, the shrill and partisan and all the, you know, snarky and, like, ridiculous, and then c- come on the air and say, oh, but now we're going to report the news. Like, right? Like, can you imagine, like, Tom Brokaw or Walter Cronkite right. in their heyday, like, going there, or Tim Russert, or pick a journalist. There's, there's right, so many sure. good journalists through history. That's like, to me, if I were... Uh, and, and you know that there are reporters that are focused on it. It's just hard to do both. Now, if you if you've seen the social dilemma, you know I don't know if you've, you not yet. No. You got to watch it. Like you got to watch it, and you should bring some expert on. It's alarming. It's like the click, the division, the the noise, the conspiracy theories, the us versus them is what draws eyeballs, what draws clicks, what draws viewers. It's like a tabloid strategy. And so that's why they continue to do it. And I think it has it has severe you know negative repercussions for the for the press's you know credibility. No, I agree. Kyle Clark is a big boy. He doesn't need me to fight his battles for him. And I disagree with you on your appraisal of him. But that's fine. We can disagree about that. That's that's more than okay with me. Pivoting back to you, Josh, real quick, just because we touched on it at the top of the episode here. Raise the bar sports betting to help fund Colorado water projects, things like that. Those are very solutions-oriented kinds of things. Do you find, since your sort of public political career ended, are you more effective in the private sector, and is there anything that would compel you to go back into public life like the, that? The, uh, the thing I've found, I told this to, to Joey Bunch the other day when we were doing a story about our, our company, is I, I do feel like the dysfunction in the, in, in the sort of the four halls, the four walls of – the legislature and the political process is so stark that actually people who care 
uh, on the outside can have more of an impact. You look at Kent Theory, who's you know getting behind a bunch of these ballot initiatives, and he's just one of many people. We do a ton of work with him. He really did drive along with a guy named Joe Zimlick, who works for Pat Stryker, the gerrymandering reform. Right. Like that's a huge sea change. That wait. So so you've got Kent Theory, who is CEO of Devita, yep. and then someone who works for Pat Stryker. One, one of one of the four horsemen of the Democratic Party, yeah, right? right? Uh, or Democratic funding? Yeah, that's right. And 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 then other people like Mark Gruskin, who's this incredibly shrewd lawyer who represents all the Democratic progressive partisan causes on that side, and you know the equivalent's probably me, like and others on our side that we're working together to get that done. And the, so, and if you think about what it means, gerrymandering reform, it sounds like you know, snappy. The reality is, we'll have better representatives and Congress people in the state for a decade because of that deal. So, in that sense, like I never accomplished; it was never part of anything that important in the legislature. Um, so I do feel like, you know, the thing I love about my job is we can influence public policy in ways that we want. And then we also, like we've talked about this internally, we also want to, we want to influence the conversation for centrists, for moderation. We want to be friends with Democrats. We want to encourage reasonable Republicans to step out. Honestly, if we have to, if we want to, you know, thump the bat, we haven't talked about the AOC wing of the Democratic Party or the far right of the Republican Party. Right. Like we want to, we want to be a voice that um, is confident en- enough in itself to stand up to those voices and support, you know, the state and the, you know, the country moving forward. So one question I have for you, and I don't know if this is criticism or not, but the idea that you can be more effective outside of government than you can be inside of it in 2021, I think that's an indictment of a lot of things. Yeah, true. Agree or no? Yeah, it is. It is. And there are people who are still who are still, you know, making making an impact. And and in truth, we do need good people to run. I mean, honestly, we, we haven't talked about this, but you, we need Republic. How do Republicans change their brand? How do they govern better? How do they become a reasonable, uh, you know, a more reasonable, effective party by running people like Heidi Ganahl, like Jan Kuhlman, the mayor of, Th- of Thornton, the mayor of Lone Trees, uh, an engineer and a Republican woman, the mayor of Centennial is uh, is a, an impressive uh, Stephanie Pico professional who's really smart, like running people like that. We need, we really desperately need and not, not just the Republican party, but as a state and a country, we desperately need those kind of people to step up and run. I'm kind of, I I've been there, done that. Uh, I don't think about it. Not, not eager to back into the, get back into the fray. Enjoy my, my, uh, my <laughs> life right now a lot. Cause I get to talk to you and use <laughs> profanity and probably only get yelled at by my mother. So. <laughs> well, very good. All right. Well, uh, I know you got to run. So this is the, uh, this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Is there anything you'd like to plug josh uh no i think we covered it It was fun and i appreciate your willingness to 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 do this i do i'm a big i'm a big uh uh listener uh, to podcasts itself it's a new way to get information so i I i'm a big fan of yours and uh delighted to be with you well thanks man well i'll tell you what josh it's a pleasure to work with you i appreciate your insights anything we always get to do together it's it's an honor and a privilege for me and i wish you continued success you're the man appreciate it same to you and that'll do it for episode 279 of the John of All Trades podcast with Josh Penry, principal at 76 Group. What a guy. I enjoy working with him. I appreciate his insights. I appreciate his intellect. And I hope you got as much out of this as I did. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. I do training. I do content. I do engagement. So do you need to be communicating outwardly more or better? I can help you do that. I also am a podcaster. This is the flagship show, but I also produce podcasts for a number of other organizations. So hit me up if you're interested in any of that. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Download the John of All Trades podcast on your favorite podcatcher, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or a billion others. Hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you every Wednesday. Please leave a rating and leave us a review. Episodes are previewed on Monday. That's Facebook only. So like me on Facebook at J-O-A-T pod. That's also true of Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. I'm out of here for this week. This was an intensely fun show. It's been a good start to 2021. I remain cautiously optimistic. I hope you are too. I hope you're taking care of yourselves. I hope you're taking care of others. I hope you're continuing to wash your hands, wear your mask. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And until we get there and beyond, I'll be here trying to bring you the best content that I can. So until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.